and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. It's award season here. End of regular season. Wild card weekend is ahead. Hold on to your seats, but first let's review all the goodness that just happened over the previous 18 weeks. Of course, I am your host, Ian Hardis, running solo today. Happy January 9th as I'm recording this and happy wild card week. But once again, got to get through some of these great awards that we had happen to fill up and hopefully win a bunch of us those sweet fantasy football championships here in the 2022 and just a little bit of the 23 season. So appreciate you guys tuning in as always. And yeah, I have six fun awards I want to get through today. Just so you guys know, in the near term, we will be back to some more strategy based fantasy football content. I'm planning on reviewing quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end loads of good shit like that here over the next two months so we're going to take a bit of a step back from analyzing each and every game coming up i know there's plenty of great minds out there do that we do that 17 weeks out of the year but for now i want to keep things more so on the fantasy focus side of things looking ahead getting some actionable takeaways but again first things first is dealing with some of these awards i have six categories i want to go through the most valuable fantasy player fantasy playoff mvp best fantasy championship game performance most improved fantasy player best fantasy comeback and rookie of the year you can find all these on the lovely pff.com as of tuesday and i'm recording this on monday so with that in mind everyone let's get after it most valuable fantasy player i am determining this by looking at the best so yes we did have guys like josh jacobs who in terms of being the most valuable if you are trying to look at the biggest difference between the adp where they were drafted and their final fantasy rank he'd be a great contender i do believe in terms of raw difference you know looking at every single player at every position nobody had a larger difference in their preseason adp and their final overall finish than bears quarterback justin fields more on him in just a little bit again though I am not looking at basically where they were drafted. I am purely looking at who was the best at the highest rate relative to their peers. So what I did was I took the QB one, the RB one, wide receiver one, tight end one, and looked to see who had the largest difference between their performance and the second best player at that position. So all these totals are through weeks one through 17. So again, I did not include the rather meaningless for fantasy purposes week 18 into the equation. And with that guy, we do see one player rise above the rest. Now, of course, Quarterback Jalen Hurts this year, 0.5 fantasy points per game, better than the QB2. Austin Eckler was two PPR points per game, better than the RB2 and Christian McCaffrey. Cooper Cup was 0.3 PPR points per game, better than the wide receiver to Justin Jefferson. I understand this one could be a little quirky. I use an eight games played cutoff for all these and Cup did play nine games. That said, if you want to eliminate Cup from this equation, which would be fair, Justin Jefferson still 2.2 PPR points better than wide receiver three Tyreek Hill. So we have Justin Jefferson, Austin Eckler, Jalen Hurts, a little bit better than their second guy, but you guys can probably see where this is going. Fantasy MVP of the season. Got to go to Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. Six PPR points per game better than the tight end two TJ Hawkinson. So really is just one of those situations where looking at how much better Kelsey was then the number two player at the position in TJ Hawkinson is enough for me to give him the award. And this really is a huge mark. Six PPR point. Uh, PPR points per game better than the next closest guy last year's winner was Cooper Cup he was 4.1 PPR points better than next closest wide receiver in 2020 uh, MFVP that's an easy one to get out of the mouth MVF 
XP, I should say. Devontae Adams finished with 4.4 additional PPR points per game, better than the next closest performer. So again, relative to everyone else at the position, nobody was better than Travis Kelsey this year in Fantasyland. I mean, career high marks in receptions with 110, 12 receiving touchdowns, 1,338 receiving yards, second highest mark of his career. So I think also adding in the context of, you know, looking at guys like Greg Dolchich, Chick Okonkwo, Kate Otten, Taysom freaking Hill. It was the most annoying position the entire year to get your head around. Guys that use high round picks on Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts were awfully disappointed. Even TJ Hawkinson, like, needed to get traded halfway through the year in order to really reach his ceiling. So Greg Kittle came on down the stretch, but he was hurt. At tight end, it was an absolute headache to deal with each and every week unless you were lucky enough to have drafted Travis Travis Kelsey back in round one or even early round two back in August. So most valuable fantasy player is going to go to Travis Kelsey, runner-up Austin Eckler for his season-long dominance. Fantasy playoff MVP. It's going to be a similar criteria as to what we had before in terms of we're looking at the largest advantage in fantasy points per game and full PPR scoring relative to other players at their position. The one catch here, though, is going to be I need you to be active and playing all three games in weeks 15 through 17. Best ability is availability, as the kids say. So looking at that, guys, our QB1 in the fantasy playoffs. Again, weeks 15 through 17. Patrick Mahomes averaged five additional fantasy points per game ahead of the QB two in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, QB2 in the fantasy playoffs. How about that? Austin Eckler, RB1 in the fantasy playoffs, average 0.1 additional PPR points per game than RB2, Christian McCaffrey, basically a wash. Wide receiver one, CD Lamb, averaged 1.8 more PPR points per game than wide receiver two, Devontae Smith, and tight end one, George Kittle. Huge, huge, you know, four-week stretches had here. Even week 18, the dude finds the end zone multiple times. 3.5 more PPR points per game than tight end two, TJ Hawkinson. So with that, guys, got to give the fantasy playoff MVP to one Patrick Mahomes. And I do think he deserves to be somewhere on this award list. So I did think that Kittle going into this was going to win the award. I mean, look at what he did. Five freaking touchdowns in weeks 15 through 17 after being a mix of injured and just not overly effective. More so because of the volume at hand than anything. I'm not here to slander George Kittle. You guys know that. But looking at Patrick Mahomes, what he did throughout this year, stop Josh Allen from getting his trio of fantasy, you know, QB1 finishes over the past three seasons, and did so without Tyreek Hill. So, yes, he got, I want to say, lucky is not the right word, but in terms of looking at the fantasy playoff MVP race, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow, all these guys were ineligible due to missing at least one game down the stretch, but just so consistent at a high level former homes over this stretch. QB4, QB6, and QB6 fantasy finishes to end the season. Dak Prescott was the only other quarterback in the NFL with a trio of top 12 finishes during the fantasy playoffs. So, you know, Mahomes, we get the voter fatigue going on with the MVP race sometimes. For my money's worth, he is the real-life MVP and also deserves to be crowned as the fantasy playoffs MVP with the runner-up being George Kittle. Best fantasy championship game performance. This one is easy. Buccaneers wide receiver Mike Evans. Holy shit, what a game. 10 catches, 207 yards. Not one, not two, but three touchdowns to help put the team on his back like a prime Greg Jennings out there. Beat the Panthers and took home that NFC South division title. So what's so incredible about this one is just how freaking bad Evans have been performing over the past three months of action. And look, there were plenty of missed throws from Tom Brady there. When I say bad, I just mean it in terms 
terms of looking at that box score because 11 straight games without a touchdown going into week 17. I mean, Evan's career long streak, I believe, was six before this. And with Tom Brady under center starting in 2020, Evans never went more than two games without a touchdown during those two seasons. And that even includes the playoffs. So if you look at it since 2010 in the de facto fantasy championship. So I looked at week 16 performances up until last year. Then over these last two seasons, the week 17 performances, we had 2020 Alvin Kamara rip off 56.2 PPR points in that six touchdown performance. Last year, we had Jamar Chase go absolutely bonkers against the Chiefs, 55.6 PPR points. 2017, Todd Gurley managed to rack up 49.6 PPR points. But in fourth place, Mike Evans at 48.7. Absolutely incredible. And it was enough of a great performance to even get Tom Brady on his Twitter account after the game, shouting out Evans and ridiculing anyone out there that happened to be sitting Mike Evans. So great game from Evans. You know, make your jokes about, oh, yeah, it was awesome in my consolation playoff game and all that. I get it. But just in terms of putting up absolutely massive numbers in week 17, no one else to give the award to but Mike Evans. And guess who scored the second most points in week 17? Seriously, guess. I'll give you three seconds here. Nice little sip of my always lovely hazelnut coffee. Tom Brady, his teammate. Mike Evans, number one. Tom Brady, number two. Highest scoring players in week 17. Sure would have been a lot cooler if, you know, they maybe had a couple more splash performances like that throughout the year. But beggars can't be choosers. If you had Evans and Brady on the squad in week 17, good chance that you were walking home with that trophy. Now, we have the most improved fantasy players. So I took every single player that played at least eight games in 2021, their fantasy points per game. And I looked at 2022, every single player that played at least eight games, their fantasy points per game, who had the largest improvement from 21 to 2022. Here are the finalists at quarterback. It was Justin Fields. Went from 10.6 fantasy points per game to 19.7. Good for an improvement of 9.1 fantasy points. Jarek McKinnon, 2.8 PPR points per game in 2021, up to 11.7 this year so when you look at Jarek, yes he did have a nice playoff stretch last year which is not going into these totals and yeah he did benefit from Clyde Edwards Hilaire not being a big factor here this year mostly due to injury you know about the halfway point but still Jarek McKinnon guys someone that when he actually left Minnesota and went to the 49ers like really was Kyle Shanahan's first major investment and John Lynch once they started taking things over in Sam Fran I mean Jarek McKinnon at one point was legitimately like a first or second round fantasy running back when he was with those 49ers teams just could never stay healthy but we've seen him with the Chiefs at least over the past two years start to look a lot more like that guy so really underrated you know just come back real life story for Jarek McKinnon here over the past two years good to see him as a finalist here at wide receiver Zay Jones 6.2 PPR points per game in 2021 12.8 in 2022 good for an advantage of plus 6.6 shout out to underdog fantasies Josh Norris you guys know we love Josh and Hayden everything the whole gang at underdog fantasy does but yeah Josh Norris all over Zay Jones all freaking offseason I mean that in terms of fantasy drafts get your mind out of the gutter everyone but yes, Zay Jones was literally going in the last round of many of these drafts up until we got a little closer to the season was a good example of following the money, following a talented quarterback and hoping that even though it was someone who, again, hadn't exactly demanded the most targets throughout their career and hadn't put up the biggest counting numbers throughout their career. But you get a little bit better situation with a team that believes in you with a player that did have some solid enough level of underlying talent. Zay Jones, 2022 up 
for the most improved player, as is Evan Ingram, 6.8 PPR points per game in 2021, up to 10.6 in 2022. So truly, I know Trevor Lawrence week 18 didn't exactly, you know, win that game for the squad defense and the other Josh Allen for far more so to do with that. But even with that week 18 game included, still an awfully big leap forward for Trevor Lawrence from year one to year two. And we see that right here with Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, both qualifying as two of the most improved fantasy players. That said, though, guys, no one is touching that first mark here. Justin Fields, most improved fantasy player of the season with that plus 9.1 fantasy point advantage. So we saw it coming on a little bit at the end of last year. He had four top 10 fantasy finishes in his final five starts. But even then, guys, Overall, fantasy QB5 on the season this year, absolutely incredible. And he started off with duds in four straight weeks, couldn't finish inside the position's top 20, and then he literally rips off top 12 performances in 10 of his final 11 starts. So Justin Fields was someone that I know when Dwayne McFarlane and I were breaking down all of our quarterback tiers, like he was always, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, he was a must draft guy for us each and every time out there. But when we got to Fields, it was like he had his own tier after you know, the pocket passers who we thought were safer, you know, the Staffords, the Rogers, Brady's, Kirk Cousins of the world, even Derek Carr was in that group. It was basically those guys. And then there was Justin Fields, but it was always easy enough to look at Fields versus the rest of the group Tua, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, all those guys. And you could tell that Fields at least had the best fantasy friendly skill set at the position and we saw that in style man 1143 rushing yards second highest mark in nfl history at the position only behind 2019 lamar jackson so yeah guess what make your running back jokes lamar jackson gets them i'm sure justin fields will get them will the bears even stick with justin fields down the road i think they should but you know what if they do want to hitch their wagon on to bryce young or cj stroud or someone instead okay go ahead but spare me this whole fields just can't pass and all this idea we do this all the time and we just give no freaking mind to the weapons that these players are working with i think this year in particular justin fields and daniel jones they should pretty much get a pass in terms of what they were doing throwing the football we're talking about consensus bottom five if not bottom three groups of pass catchers in both chicago and in new york and then both of those rooms got terribly injured the entire season and now all of a sudden we had Fields and Daniel Jones being forced to work with the backups of groups that we already knew were really bad. Darnell Mooney getting hurt, the Bears actually going out on a limb and trying to get Fields some talent in the form of Chase Claypool make your own jokes there but either way he got injured and couldn't be out there we had equinemia st brown inexplicably in the wide receiver rotation and then him he was even missing time down the stretch that was what justin fields got to work with and then with daniel jones i mean look darius slayton was a healthy scratch in week one ideally the giants wanted to roll into the season with sterling shepherd kenny galladay and Kadarius tony as their top three receivers now by the end of the year you know we got darius slayton richie james and isaiah hodgins so doing good things but again when you have just brutal groups of pass catchers and then some of those guys get hurt maybe just maybe the you know lack of a ceiling for the passing game counting numbers isn't fully falling at these quarterbacks so justin fields at least in fantasy land absolutely unreal quarterback this year he was going as the qb 17 in the preseason pick number 140 146 overall and again i bet a lot of you got him on the waiver wire after that rough beginning stretch so most improved player of the year going to be justin fields with a runner-up award for Jarek McKinnon. 
best fantasy comeback. This one always gets me in trouble when my fine social team members at PFF decides to, you know, not add any context to it. And then people are wondering why I ignored some fantastic real life storyline for a random guy. So just to be clear, this is basically the living embodiment of the they had us in the first half meme. We are looking at the what the average of fantasy points per game for players that played at least three games in weeks one through eight compared to what they performed in weeks nine through 17 and looking at who improved the most. So again, you had to play three games in the first half and also the second half. I wanted to exclude guys like Keenan Allen, who were awesome in the second half, but literally just didn't play in the first half because of injury. I want guys who were objectively bad in the first half of the year and then got objectively good for at least a large portion of the second half. So with that in mind, we do have Justin Fields qualifying as the quarterback here, plus nine and a half fantasy points in weeks nine through 17 compared to weeks one through eight. Another familiar face, Jarek McKinnon, that running back, 6.1 PPR points per game in weeks one through eight, 16.1 in weeks nine through 17. At wide receiver, guys, Christian Watson, 4.5 PPR points per game in weeks one through eight compared to 15.7 in weeks nine through 17. And then Justin Fields, good friend Cole Komet, went from 4.5 to 12 in terms of his first and second half splits. But you guys heard those differences. Got to be Packers rookie wide receiver here, Christian Watson, because he was out there during the first half of the year. I mean, dealing with the hamstring injury, he did miss a couple games. He had that other game against the Bills, I believe, where he got concussed like on the second or third play of the game. So unfortunately, was constantly working out less than 100% and then was further banged up and not able to be out there as much as he wanted. But even then, guys, 30 total yards and one touchdown in you know weeks two through four out there. Also had that 75-yard house call on literally the Packers first play of the season go right through his outstretched hands and really set an awful precedent for what was to come here that said guys the stretch that Watson put together between weeks 10 through 13 is what got him this award in terms of pure PPR scoring during those weeks he was the PPR wide receiver three wide receiver eight wide receiver 10 and wide receiver eight despite in those games only having eight six six and seven targets so that's kind of the thing with Watson. Like we've seen him dud down the stretch. I get it. But even then, you know, he's been very close with a lot of these deep downfield shots that we know can be a little bit more volatile. And we're not seeing, excuse me, we're not seeing him bust on these 10 to 15 target workload games. He was never getting that this season. Still made the absolute most out of his usage. So had a 46 yard rushing touchdown thrown there in week 13. True boom or bust wide receiver but guess what to be a boom or bust wide receiver means you gotta be booming Watson was doing that better than just about anyone between weeks 10 through 13 so one final time first half production versus second half here that is what we were looking at here with the best fantasy comeback and it is gonna go to Christian Watson accordingly runner up again goes to Chiefs running back Jared McKinnon Last one here, everyone. We have Rookie of the Year. This season, only four rookies averaged at least 12 PPR points per game with a minimum of eight contests played. Sorry, Brees Hall, about that one. And I'm also going to be taking out Travis Etienne from the equation. This is not basketball. I will not be letting second-year players be called rookies as long as I can help it. Sorry, not sorry. So, yes, with this, I thought it was a very interesting year in terms of Rookie of the Year. For my money's worth, after the first four weeks of the year, I thought it was Damian Pierce. After the first eight weeks of the year, I thought it was Chris Olave. Caveat there with those splits. If you look at Brees Hall, guys, because remember, Michael Carter was really making this a two-back committee for the first couple weeks of the year. Hall really started to break out between weeks like three through six, and then he just got hurt in week seven. So 
I do think there was a four-week stretch and a time where Brees Hall deserved to be the favorite for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. But in terms of snapshots, weeks one through four, I thought Pierce came on a little bit stronger to start. Weeks four through eight and just one through eight as a whole. Chris Olave was making a lot of good things happen with Jameis and then with Dalton under center. And then weeks one through 12, I actually think I went to Garrett Wilson, seeing what he was able to do once Mike White got under center. And even in a couple of those games with Zach Wilson, I mean, we saw the implosion happen, but before their bye, when Wilson was winning these games, not putting up good numbers, but it was actually Garrett helping bail Zach out more weeks and not there and still putting forward some good performances. Unfortunately, he started to dud down the stretch, and then we ended up seeing none other than Kenneth Walker start to really emerge as the offensive rookie of the year down the stretch. So. I guess Brock Purdy is in this conversation, and it is an incredible story. I mean, to go from Mr. Irrelevant to six-nose starter with multiple touchdowns in every game, it's it's incredible. But that said, guys, the guy's first start was on December 11th. I mean, can we really name someone Offensive Rookie of the Year? Year, which in all our culture means 12 months, for a guy that literally started one month worth of games not really for me and especially because in fantasy land we didn't see purdy putting up these massive numbers not enough for me to get the nod and even be a finalist here because that's the thing with purdy the multiple touchdowns were nice and everything but if you just look at his starts he only had as if he does get there in week 18 two of his six games he'll be ranked higher or at least inside the position's top 10 fantasy performers so with all due respect to brock purdy he is not making this list but it's really close. This was the toughest one by far. I didn't have a clear statistical winner like we did in the other categories. So we did have Kenneth Walker again, in my opinion, going into this study, seemed like the front runner, but it's at least a little bit concerning that you had him in the best offense of the group. I mean, that's not even close. The Texans versus the Saints versus the Jets versus the Seahawks. Clearly, he was in the best offensive environment in an offense that wanted to run the ball. And it's at least mildly concerning that Rashad Penny was quite a bit better than Walker in their respective sample sizes. I know Walker did have a quite a bit higher volume by the time the season was was done, but Penny, yards per carry, 6.1 versus 4.7. Yards after contact per carry, 4.2 versus 3.1. Penny even forced missed tackles at a slightly higher rate than Kenneth Walker. So awesome, but just in terms of looking at the players in these offenses, like who was able to I guess be replaced in their offense the easiest, I do think it was probably Kenneth Walker. Moving on to Damian Pierce here, 0.3 forced missed tackles per touch this season, most in the NFL, regardless of position. Absolutely awesome year from the Texans rookie running back. He did really cool off, though, after that hot start in the season, guys. Didn't have a top 12 finish at the position in each of his final eight games out here, and that did surprise me looking back on it because the guy starts off and from weeks two through weeks five, RB9, RB5, and RB11 look like the next big thing at the position, but yes, during his final eight games after that, failed to crack the top 12 on even one time, so really, you just started to see a lot of the concerns that we had about Pierce, and honestly, Walker and Penny in Seattle, when you have a running back, even if they are awesome, but they're not really catching passes, and they're in a shitty offense, you're not going to get a ton of consistent fantasy points. Saints wide receiver Chris Alave, fifth most yards per route run by a rookie receiver over the last decade with a minimum of 50 targets. I believe the only guys that were higher were Jamar Chase last season. Who else got there? We had OBJ in 2014. That was the leader. Justin Jefferson in 2020 was also close. 
and there's one more guy I am forgetting. My apologies there. Unfortunately, though, injuries and up and down play under center. I mean, we only had one finish higher than the PPR wide receiver 36 during weeks 10 through 17 for Chris Olave. So incredibly efficient. He got another touchdown the total in week 18. That was good to see, but just not many boom games that you'd want to see from, again, the potential offensive rookie of the year. So Olave, you guys know me. I got my Ohio State Buckeyes bias, and Olave was my preseason pick for the award. I thought the halfway point, that was still fair, but I did not think he did enough over the entire season to take this one home final contender we do have Garrett Wilson and again probably the biggest reason why the world was briefly convinced that Mike White could be a legit NFL quarterback for an extended period of time whether or not that is proven true or false fantastic rookie season from Garrett Wilson him and Chris Olave both managed to surpass 1,000 receiving yards and this was PFF's single lowest graded offense in terms of team passing grade throughout the season so Kenneth Walker had everything going his way in terms of the offense offensive line playing a little better than we expected the offensive environment the scoring upside being better than we expected Garrett's was probably the worst with that he had a lot of competition with Elijah Moore Corey Davis and those guys in the offense we had it going from Joe Flacco to Zach Wilson to Mike White back to Zach Wilson back to Joe Flacco throughout the entire season Chris freaking Strevler ended up taking some serious snaps there at one point and Garrett Wilson just kept on keeping on so very tough for me if Garrett Wilson had had a slightly better end of the season because he really did have a rough final rough final four or five weeks there's no other way around it you look at his final three games four catches 30 scoreless yards three catches 18 scoreless yards and then finally did finish with nine catches for 89 yards against the dolphins that one was good but to me kenneth walker looking at what he was able to do down the stretch with a couple 100 plus total yard games during the fantasy playoffs when things really mattered it's gonna be enough for me to give him the award for rookie fantasy of the year also did have the single lowest preseason adp on espn of any of these guys involved so again can't say enough how close this award specifically was to me it is kenneth walker number one garrett wilson number two from a fantasy standpoint i do think in terms of who was the best rookie real life i probably would still have to give the award to garrett wilson so kenneth walker is awesome and he had that incredible stretch during the middle of the season saved a lot of you guys during bye weeks and he was even someone like fields where because of how little he was doing the first four or five weeks because of some injury stuff as well to uh, walkers you know respect just incredible seeing what he could do coming off the waiver wire and being someone that you had to shove in the fancy lamps of all shapes and sizes there for a solid month or two so just to quickly recap these lovely pff fancy awards most valuable fantasy player goes to Travis Kelsey with a runner-up of Austin Eckler. Fantasy playoff MVP is Patrick Mahomes with runner-up George Kittle. Best fantasy championship game performance is Mike Evans with runner-up Tom Brady. Most improved fantasy player is going to be Justin Fields with runner-up Jarek McKinnon. Best fantasy comeback is Christian Watson with runner-up Jarek McKinnon. And rookie of the year, Kenneth Walker with a runner-up of Garrett Wilson. So hopefully you had a couple of these guys on the fantasy squads throughout the year. I know we sure spent a hell of a lot of time trying to grind and figure out exactly who these stars were going to be. Also, just before we get out of here, I want to give some love to some other people out 
out there are just trying to pick the best plays at all times, specifically our friends over there at DraftKings. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, now legal in Ohio. Let's freaking go, people. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good. Why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Again, guys, I am so excited. I've had, you know, my ways of getting some bets down here over the years, but just being able to go on over to DraftKings Sportsbook, do it all above the belt, have a bunch of fun doing it. I cannot wait. And guess what, guys? You can download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFF. New customers can bet again $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Also, got to give some love to our friends over at Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? I'm trying. Plan to start a family? That's the goal. Wondering how to make your money grow? That'd be great. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Hi, everyone. Again, Many thanks for everyone tuning in throughout the season. We've had some ups and downs, people in, people out, and hopefully we were able to win some fantasy championships there along the way. So want to keep things fun here and keep things effort informative. So as I said in the beginning of the show, we will be back with more actionable content throughout the playoff stretch and deep into the offseason as we always do. So before we know it, going to be time to get some of the brightest dynasty minds, best ball minds back on here, getting our strategy set for 2023. But again, I do want to use these next few weeks just to take Take a bit of a step back, look at the position, see what we learn, see what we can hopefully use moving forward to win that many more fantasy games and, of course, championships on top of that. So, again, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Ian Harditz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.